Welcome to the Prime Leadership Podcast, where we keep you informed about the newest trends and discussions in the UK engineering and manufacturing sector. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Prime Workforce, dedicated to assisting leaders in engineering and manufacturing across the UK in recruiting the right talent for their leadership and management needs. Visit prime-workforce.co.uk. On this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Ian Beckett. Ian, how are you? I'm good, Terry. Thank you very much for inviting me along. It's uh, it's good to be here. Good. And Ian, could you give our listeners an insight into who you are? Well, I'm a chief executive of a company called Salamanca Solutions and Airtight Technology, one of them based in the US and the other in Ireland. Um, for the last 30 years, I've been pretty much based in Ireland, globalizing U.S. manufacturing in Ireland. And they have been perhaps a little less efficient than they should be at understanding the various cultural differences between Europe, Africa, and the Middle East and the U.S., which we see very clearly on a day-to-day basis with the news that uh, when you watch Mr. Trump performing. However, the simple issue is that I try to add value to reduce the costs of uh, scaling a U.S. product solution uh, to meet the needs of customers worldwide. And since a large number of my previous uh, companies have uh, have disappeared in the days of mini computers for uh, a line printer for mini for mini computer companies and um, and PCs, uh, customizable PCs for consumers. Uh, the, the world has changed fundamentally over the years, but the basic rules apply that companies, although they appear professional and ham and, and controlled like a duck paddling across a pond, they're pretty much chaotic underneath. And the, um, and the bigger the company, the more chaos reigns within the company. Okay. That's pretty much interesting. Interesting, and, and 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 you know, given that, given all we are experiencing, you know, you were touching on some some key points here in terms of the, but you know, the the your experience in the past in terms of multinational, you know, the American slant, the U.S. business slant in terms of what you're trying to bring into Ireland and, and kind of. I mean, the topic that we're going to discuss today is company collaboration to achieve yeah. company goals, which I think is quite fitting. Um, in terms of there's going to be a lot of change in future. There's a lot of change going on in companies right now. And it would be great, Ian, to get your insight and your experience into, into how you find that it's the best way to approach that and make it successful. Okay. Well, you're quite correct, Terry, because the only thing I've noticed is things accelerate over time. Uh, there are far fewer companies now than there was in the past that have survived. But my approach is always the same, that mostly companies don't focus on their customers properly. And even if the company from a marketing perspective does, the individuals in the company tend not to. They tend to engage in internal politics, be it international politics between the headquarters and the the regional office. I think everybody listening to this would understand the fact that Engineers tend to dislike marketing people because they initiate change. 
And the example that I always think of is that famous Yes Minister show where the hospital with no patients uh, got an award for hygiene. That um, this is very often what you find. And one perfect example of what I what I do, apart from say things like product lifecycle management or controlling change effectively, is one of my bosses who was uh, in charge of uh, technology worldwide ended up as chief executive in one of our telecom companies in Ireland. And he, his first complaint to me was, everybody seems to be trying to do everyone else's job. And the, the engineers would tell the marketing people how stupid they were and the, and vice versa would apply. And, um, so I think the best way of looking at the approach that I developed with some marketing partners that uh, we simply give visibility to everybody in the company of what their correct role is. Not only to the people in the, in that role, but to everyone else about what everyone else's job is. And this creates internal competition that, let's say, the noisy ones, the ones who are most aggressive, the ones who use bullying type A um, tactics to uh, aggressively resist change, they're exposed and they can't, uh, they can't, they can't perform in their old way. They're held accountable to do their job that they're held accountable that they must do. When the gals say so so touching on that, right? So if, uh, uh, so what what are you saying, Ian, that companies companies are you know, people within companies are failing to collaborate effectively? Uh, exactly. And I suppose I one of the the best examples spoke to one of the very few companies that I worked for was AT&T. But they initiated a global program to implement uh, alignment of uh, employees with company objectives and alignment of the company with their customers' needs. And that's a little bit like when you were in school, you were taught about magnetism or the arrows pointing in the same direction. And when this happens, um, and without going through a, a long and complex story, I ran the program in AT&T with 200 odd people out of 60,000 worldwide that were taking it. And the end results I discovered later was that the AT&T network systems in Ireland had increased profitability more than anywhere else in the world the following year. Mm -hmm. And this is basic alignment. Everybody focused at the same direction. Yeah. And the, there's a number of simple approaches to start with, but I always looked at things like rework. So a, a lot of engineering activity in a company assumes, and let's say even more so in a new company that's scaling, assumes that nothing changes. Reduce X, build it forever. But in practice, every company is like change is natural, is required. And to execute that change, it's a little bit like changing planes in mid-flight. You know, it's easy to fall off the wings and, you know, it's a long way down. Yeah. And the costs of doing that, um, especially if change is rapid, can make the products unprofitable. And let, let me give you a, a practical example of a company we bought in, in Austria. This company was bought in 2001 for a very public telco. The amounts were were published, so it's not confidential. We bought it for 10 euros. It was losing $50 million a month. Okay. We sold it for one and a half billion. 
four years later. One of the issues was, like a lot of other companies, when product marketing are under pressure to compete effectively in a market where they're the smallest player, they insist on doing what everybody else does, plus some more. Now, that is naturally going to be unprofitable, especially if you ask, you know, in the salespeople, the target of selling, you know, not three options to the customer, but 50 options. They buy nothing. So the change is very simple. Make the product marketing people stand up a month later and say, this is what happened with my wonderful new product. And I'm proud to have achieved my objectives. 50% of the products disappeared. Another example of doing the same type of thing in, in a PC manufacturer. Yeah. The same excuse of uh, alignment of we have to do this because we have to be in the game was the 80 20 rule was, was, was touted that 80% of our products mightn't make any money, but we have to have them in order that people have the choice. And I think pretty much everyone listening to this would have had the same excuse. My solution was to do a Pareto of exactly what the sales of every product was. It turned out that 96% of the products didn't even cover the costs that I was adding to the products. Strangely, half the product managers are fired shortly afterwards and the product complexity was reduced by 50%. That saves millions of dollars. Sounds simple, sounds trivial, but those alignments are perfectly uh, uh, big, big examples of how to make change happen at top level. And, 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 and touching on, so, so going to company, co- company collaboration, mm-hmm. you know, what do you find? So through all these examples and stuff, what do you find is the, the biggest challenge in terms of bringing together a, a, you know, a group of people? Great, or great question. It's all very well to have chaos and everyone disagreeing with each other, but you, rightly, how do you get them together? Well, people love to compete. They might hate their boss, but they pretty much like their peers, even if they're in other departments. And there are various techniques that uh, work very well. Uh, they're really social engineering techniques for changing the way people behave and, in fact, the way people believe. One of them would be stop, start, continue. You pull a group of people together in a room, and I've used this extensively, either consciously or unconsciously for the subjects. You put up a couple of whiteboards, you identify the objectives, because everybody has a slightly different view of what the company objectives are, and you form groups around the room and get the people to present back what their collective priorities are. Now, a little bit like those religious meetings that you might have been dragged along to as a kid that... um, and that are particularly popular in America with the evangelical preachers, where if someone goes up the front and gives their testimony about this miserable sinner is no longer going to drink and do whatever is inappropriate, by the people actually feeding back the results of their team's work, their internal belief pattern changes. If they've said, I'm going to do X, I'm going to partner with marketing to do Y, we're going to listen to customer care when the product errors are, are, are identified, it actually happens. Now, it sounds insane because it, it just doesn't sound reasonable. But uh, millions of 
religious fundamentalists can't be wrong because they make a lot of money that way. Yeah, yeah. You know that. And companies work exactly the same way. And even though I at times might be banging my head off the wall, it does seem to work. Now, one of the things I'll sort of say, because my role was, let's say, corporate going to visit the regions, everybody knows the joke of, hey, I'm from corporate and I'm here to help you. And everybody else sees a seagull. And it's, uh, uh, the essential component here is managing without power. So by persuading the people that you're working with that it's good for them, then things happen. But when you leave, it stays happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a trait of a good leader as well in terms of, you know, exactly your finishing uh, sentence here on the, in, on the basis of, um, you know, it's still happening when that person leaves as well. Uh, in most of your experiences within large businesses, especially uh, maybe a US focus that's very mm-hmm. structured, process driven. If I'm a small growing business in the UK, could be far, you know, could be a fourth generation family, very cash rich, you know, and, and you've never really had a real insight into six sigma lean manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you do, you know, you would val- value the insight of someone uh, worth that experience. But, you know, how, how, how's that, how's that tailored different from a large process driven organization to a possible fourth generation family owned business? That's a great question, Terry, because strangely, it's easier. The problem with a structured organization is that it's pretty hard to melt the structure and change it. And people hide behind the six sigmas and the lean manufacturing processes and use it as an excuse. But often these, and I'm thinking of one of our big customers at the moment, which I'll talk about in a minute, but often these legacy customers, you could call them, the people who started their business 30 years ago, who knew what was right then, but suddenly their customers are complaining and their profits are declining and they're wondering how to do digital transformation if it sounds fashionable and everybody's supposedly doing it. And someone comes along and says, well, here's the training plan and here's this. Their basic thought is, yeah, what is that by me? So I'm looking at the issue of, let's say, the boss having the power to make the decision. In that situation, uh, people are often frozen in a way of working that's uh, quite a few years old. Many of the managers who've been in place for some time and many of the frontline customer-facing staff who've similarly been there for many years, they don't really understand what each other does. So if you identify a pain point, which is what we'd always start with, usually it's customer care because customer calls up, he wants they want service yesterday and they want it want you to waste uh, like a Trojan horse. You get the show rolling forward. And in in one of our clients who makes windows and doors for the UK and Ireland, they have about one and a half million square feet in the two countries. They ship products in a a two-week order uh, to shipment cycle. They deploy them. Um, We saved maybe five times what we charge them to make this happen. They move from an entirely automated paper-based solution 
into a controlled uh, tablet-based workflow management system. And this these would be this would be a large enterprise. Yeah. But your your question was even slightly different. Let's say it's a small company wanting to scale to be a big company, but every time they tried it, they tripped up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in that situation, I use the same technique. I look and at where they want to go, which they pretty much know, and say the first thing you got to know is where you are today. And there was a, a company in, in Trinidad a couple of years ago that they said, yes, here are our documents. This is what we do. Here's the specification. But they'd been written five, 10 years ago. They were completely wrong. So often the first thing you have to do is say, well, what actually happens today? And not what actually happens from the manager's perspective, but talking to the people doing the work and say, tell me about your work. What do you do? What causes you pain? What keeps you here at the end of the month because things go crazy when you try to get the bills out? And then you focus at making the individual's jobs easier, save their time. And I think that leads to a slightly different area. When you're trying to change something, the first reaction that everybody gives you is, yes, I'm completely busy. I have no time to learn something new. Therefore, go away and come back when I'm not busy, which they never are not busy. So by giving them some time to start with, and this is the stop, start, continue thing. that okay. Continue what you do, identify what it is, identify what's productive and profitable. Stop doing things that just are wasteful. Now, you know, chatting by the coffee machine is one thing, but there are lots of things that people do that are ineffective that they maybe have been told to do the reports they have to produce every month. And then this gives you the capacity to start doing something. And once you start doing something, then if that's the right thing, you're going to get more time. So it's, it's working with, let's say, the lowest level person, not in a derogatory sense, but in a, in a hierarchical sense in the company that ensures that by everyone becoming a little more productive, then the company itself becomes productive. There's no point in making the chief executive much more knowledgeable about all the KPIs and the results or the managers similarly. And there are other ways of looking at this. Maybe an inverted KPI that you mm -hmm. create competitive regions so everybody sees mm -hmm. how the different yeah. people are working. So the, the, there's very simple tricks, very pragmatic tricks. But if the um, the, the archetypal small farmer who wants to become big or somebody who's run a, a business the same way for years is suddenly shown, yes, this is the ABC of how to make things happen. It's not very expensive. Then that works. And closing off, you know, I think that that's fitting in terms of, you know, the importance of company collaboration mm. as a group of people to achieve the goals of the company. And I think that is very, you know, for me personally, I think the biggest thing from that is the communication as well, Ian, in terms of that and the communication between the, you know, all members within a business to make sure that the vision of where the business wants to go is... Uh, that is critical, Terry. Very often a weak manager uses communication or constrains communication as being you know, they're the expert and they control the information. 
there's very little confidential information in a company. Some, but not a lot. The best way of getting rid of a poor manager is to give his people the information and that then the person must perform so that he's respected by his, his, his uh, team players. Like one of the, the great example in, in, um, in, in Japan one time where they're extremely hierarchical, which is quite similar to a lot of small companies. Yeah. There, the employees almost elect their manager. If they don't respect him, they'll tell everyone he's an idiot, including him. I had one guy virtually having a nervous breakdown with this. But I put in a, a Dutch guy after failing with the local Japanese manager, and he got on great. He was perceived to be to add value, and he communicated, and they grew. And I think the issue is not that the senior management team or the supervisory team or uh, some other level actually are successful, but that everybody in the company is collaborating appropriately together. It doesn't mean everybody knows everything about everyone else like a knitting circle. It simply means that everybody knows their job, everyone knows their collective responsibilities, and a little bit like the... Um, I use the term product lifecycle management, how to change things, that if everyone collaborates in prioritizing change mm -hmm. together, then the pushback from one group saying, oh, we're too busy, we can't do this, or that's stupid, it's the wrong thing to do, is eliminated. And everyone's focus is flowing in the same direction. Yep. So collaboration, I'd see, is like flow. You move in the same direction. And if there's less resistance, like a river flowing down a, 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 a over the rocks, yeah. then things become more profitable. And it's easy to measure. Okay. All right. That makes sense, actually. I So, yeah, okay. And, and you know, Ian, I've really enjoyed in terms of that input there. And I know the listeners, you know, I know there's some golden nuggets in there that you've given. You know, how, if, if somebody wanted to kind of find out more, uh, if somebody's listening to this podcast um, or this video and, and they're thinking, do you want a lot? A lot of that does resonate with me. And, and, and maybe it's time that I should think about maybe doing something. Nothing's, nothing's more prominent than today. Then, then how, how, how would somebody reach out to you or, or, or be able to get? Well, in everything, LinkedIn is probably a great way of connecting. I'm www.ianbeckett.com. I get yep. in there early. Yep. Give me a call. Ask any questions. I've been working in really weird consulting environments for many years in countries that you or many people don't even want to go to. But I've never found an environment. Sometimes I've never got shot, but I've never found an environment that hasn't worked. And um, I'm, I'm very happy to help. I ask and you will always get an answer. And if I can't help, that's the first thing I'll tell you. That not my up my my alley, but in general, um, business grows on the basis of if I can help you be more efficient, if I can help overcome a, a problem, um, you will adopt the same approach I have over the years. That every company I've worked for that was paying me to be an executive, I would look at an issue saying, "Well, my loaded cost is X." 
And unless I can save 10x, then I'm going to eventually get fired. I was never fired. Companies closed, but uh, I survived. So if I can help you using the same philosophy, if I can help you be more efficient, then give me a call. Fantastic. And I really do appreciate it, Ian. Thanks for listening to the Prime Leadership Podcast. If you've made it this far, we take it that you enjoyed the show. In return, we'd love it if you would leave us a rating and a review on Spotify and Amazon Music. Subscribe whilst you're there and we'll catch you for the next episode.